0: Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orinjsopher. Thanks so
1: much. Oren and I are both feeling similarly that the practices that we've done so far, that's the foundation of inner freedom. There's a lot more to it, and if you stick with the practices that we've done this morning and afternoon, you will be well on your way.
0: Um, just, to, just to add on the on the mastering difficult emotions because. I think it's safe to assume that most of us don't have two other people available at any time (laughs) to form a triad and dance with the difficult emotion the way we did. Um, So I just kind of maybe want to name one or two other practices that you can, can do on your own with those. So one that we named already is just cultivating their opposite, right? Cultivating resilience and cultivating the opposite.
1: Um, the opposite.
0: The opposite. So, in other words, if you're if you're angry, um, oh, if you oh, oh, notice God. that anger comes up for you a lot in your life, cultivate love. If you notice, um,
1: and if you notice that love comes up a lot, cultivate anger. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you notice that love comes up a lot, enjoy and celebrate, and also and also look and also look for where does the love move into something else, mm-hmm. right? Or where do you chase after love? Or where do you try to get that feeling? Right as Mickey was saying, that's another level of mastering pleasant emotions, not becoming attached or identified with those, but in the same way, simply allowing them to move through as information, as experience, the full experience of being human. Um, so building resource, cultivating the, the wholesome, positive emotions and qualities. Um, and then I'll just name two others that can be done on one's... Um, I, I don't have it thought out enough to name all the opposites, but...
1: I'm happy to give a couple more examples. Great, please. Uh, one is if, let's say, you uh, habitually wait for your friends to reach out to you, reach out to them. If you always reach out to your friends and you have this anxiety that if you don't call them, they will never call you, try out not calling them and see what happens. Um, Is this a simple enough example? More. (laughs) More. If you tend to always speak in a group, try to be silent and see what arises in you, in that tension of you have something so important to say, you could contribute to the whole group, this could move things forward and not say it. If you always devalue Uh, what you have to say and you think, oh, somebody else will say it, it's not so important, it's only mine, I prefer to listen. Make a contract with yourself that every day you speak up at least three times. It's endless. It's whatever is an encrusted habit of yours, experiment with its opposite.
0: I love the specificity of what Mickey's contributing here around having really specific, concrete things that we can do to shift our behavior in ways where our emotions are preventing us from, feeling, from being free and from having choice. And the practice that I'm inviting is slightly different, and it's specifically sort of in relation to the bare emotion, irrespective of the situation, that we can also cultivate other, other emotions, other qualities in our heart to balance them, right? So if we notice that we're in fear a lot, to also be able to cultivate kindness and tenderness or compassion, outside of the fear, not when the fear comes up. At other times, if we're if we're in a place of um, scarcity, to cultivate a feeling of gratitude and appreciation, you know, have a gratitude journal and write down things specifically that happened every day that you feel grateful for. <coughs> Two other of these kinds of practices of engaging directly with the emotions that many of you have a meditation practice would be familiar with, but just wanting to name them might be Um, one is meeting the emotion with empathy in yourself. So, feeling the emotion and finding in some way that works through you with a word, with an image, with an emotion, some way to feel tenderness Mm -hmm. for it, to hold it with tenderness. Hold it with tenderness. Think of a dear friend. Imagine arms around you. Imagine yourself in a place that feels peaceful and nourishing, right? And to bring in that tenderness, not to make the emotion go away, but to, so that it's not alone or so that you're not alone in it anymore. You're with it, just like that other person was holding the empathy for you in the activity. And then a final practice is also just to, once we have some balance, once we don't feel like we're in the reactivity of the emotion, to simply be with it as it is, mm-hmm. to feel and tolerate the discomfort, whatever it is, the energy of it, and just observe it, just know it as it is, is a very powerful practice to um, establish a, a more spacious and free relationship with these with these experiences of emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Question. Or comment.
2: Sometimes when I try to stick with one emotion, it just leads to a million other emotions. Mm-hmm. Should you try to return back to the original one, or should you just follow
0: it? So the the comment is sometimes when he tries to stick with just one emotion, many many others come. And do I just go with that flow, or come back to the first emotion? I think it depends on the context. It depends on the situation. Um, if you're if you're intentionally wanting to practice with a certain emotion then I'd say stick with it, keep coming back to it, whatever comes up. If you're more trying to work through a situation, something that happened, and you start with feeling really angry, and then you notice that you're feeling really a lot of fear, and then you notice that you're feeling sad, and then you notice that you're confused, I would say just follow the unfolding right as it happens.
1: Um, Joke aside, I want to say that sometimes... If we are always loving, it's not authentic. Sometimes, not always. Always loving, always caring, always empathic. Sometimes if you really dig inside that, you will discover that you have fear. Or like, you're not allowed to exist unless you're loving. Um, And so then there actually is room for cultivating what would happen if I didn't always respond lovingly. If I allowed myself to make a mess. If I allowed myself to follow that fleeting, annoyed response that I did not allow myself to have because I'm supposed to be loving. I'm sure some people in the room recognize what I'm talking about. The, the regularly nice people, that applies to you. It's uh, it's really difficult to uh, become free when you are nice, and the reason <laughs> there is a reason for it. I, I, and the reason is this: I was never nice, so I never got the rewards of being nice. There's a lot of reward that you get for being nice. People like you; they seek your company. They rely on you. They, they offer you goodies. And to risk losing that in order to be more authentic and more free is a very big deal. It's a huge deal. So it's not so easy to step out of niceness. In some ways, it's easier to step out of an angry pattern because everything around you supports you in, in moving out of there. But when you're nice, everybody was like, wait, 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 you used to be nice. Now you're s- such a nasty person, you know. <laughs> so th- it was a joke, but there is something there. Is it really truthful and authentic? And there was something else I wanted to say, and it's gone. <coughs> yes? I just wanted yeah. to,
3: I guess, expand on what you just you said can, yeah. about yeah. niceness. I guess what's important is the intention behind the niceness? Yes. I
1: guess Thank you. That, it, there, it's important. Yeah. What is the intention behind the niceness? Yeah.
3: So like if I'm being nice and it's just naturally emerging from me and I just feel great being nice, then awesome. But if I'm being nice to be loved by someone or for some other motive that's not actually about it at all, then that's that's where the disauthentic
1: place yeah. is. So, yeah. so it's a question of am I being nice? Am I being genuinely generous? Mm-hmm. Am I having a wave of kindness? Uh, or am I managing some fear? Yeah. Am
3: I afraid that if I'm not yeah. nice, they might not like me enough, yeah. or et etc. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. These, these
1: are fantastic things to investigate, not like end points to reach. It's just things to investigate. One more hand. Yeah, you're um, last at the, in this round.
2: Uh, just a, it's sort of a simple question. Um, I, obviously, this is about cultivating inner freedom, so it sort of is, goes an assumption, but I guess I just want to ask, like, why is being authentic the goal? Or, like, what, why not be nice over being authentic, for example? Um, and I don't know. I just kind of am curious about that question. Uh,
1: and what's your answer for yourself?
2: Um, I think, I don't know. I think something that, I, I guess this is, brings another question, but something I've been struggling with that today is just when my inner freedom may perhaps um or expressing my inner freedom may perhaps bring someone else into the trauma level of um, of their comfort their discomfort zone mm-hmm. um, and I think that's where my question sort of comes from is maybe um maybe it's not really about action maybe inner freedom can be completely apart from action and i think that's something i'm like sort of grappling with today but i think um yeah i think authenticity at the expense or at, with the with the risk or fear that it could bring somebody else into trauma feels yeah. really scary to me
1: so so thank you i i am i'm now a whole lot clearer on what you're asking and and What I want to say is that um, there is an either-or that is implicit in your question that is part of our cultural milieu. And all the joking about niceness aside, we have learned that you are either authentic or caring, that they are an either-or. And my own belief is that digging deep enough there's always going to be a truth that I can say with care. And that's what I'm aiming for, is is not acting recklessly, acting with choice that includes my own authenticity and my own needs and my awareness of the effect of my actions on other people. And I can integrate both, and, and that to me is is something that I strive for much more than a kind of like a reckless, I'll do whatever I want. It it doesn't actually feel to me like that's the true authenticity. Does that speak to you? Definitely. So I don't think I have to decide between the two.
0: Because fundamentally, part of our authenticity of being human is that we care about the impact we have on others when we look deeply enough.
1: So um, I wanted to um, bring your attention to the handout that you were given. Uh, this handout um, is for for you to have. It's not something that we are using today. It's, it's resources for you to continue to learn from. I just want to tell you what's in here. Um, It's three resources. The first is called Key Assumptions and Intentions of NVC. So NVC, Nonviolent Communication, um, sits on top of a particular worldview. And the first page describes that worldview. And NVC is also a set of intentions Choices about how we want to act in the world, which is part of that worldview, And those, the, those two pieces, the assumptions and the intentions, that's the first resource. Um, I just invite you, not, not today, but I, I feel sad when people take handouts and then recycle them. Just uh, use this. this. This is going to support you later, so that it's not just what we did today. The second resource is what I call core commitments, I put together my own understanding of what living nonviolently means. So you can use this uh, for learning, for study, for inspiration, and for practice. And uh, the last sheet is called Core Practices for Inner Freedom, some of which you will recognize because we did them today. And some of which we didn't do today because it's only one day. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted to um, invite you to consider delving more into this later and reflecting and integrating it. And in particular, uh, for a little bit now, I want to talk about the practice of taking responsibility, which is a very... Deep corollary of inner freedom, and I think it also speaks directly to Lee—is Lee your name—to your to your question—that um, um, it's kind of like we have had so many strictures and constraints that there is some way that we are reactive to that, and somehow. Something in us thinks that freedom is just the capacity to do whatever I please, whenever I please, regardless of how anybody else um, experiences life. Um, Which is not my idea of freedom. I don't think that we are free when we act that way. I think that we have a kind of um, an exhilarating... uh, But it isn't true freedom because it's not including every part of ourselves. And this piece about integrating everything into who I am, to me has been um, an astonishingly rich practice of where I can expand and expand and expand who I know myself to be and incorporate more and more and more and more pieces into it. So the the responsibility, the sense of responsibility that I'm talking about includes four parts. The first part is about responsibility for our feelings. And it's it's a rigorous conceptual and spiritual practice. My experience is that everybody understands it. No, I haven't yet met someone who says it's not so. And almost all of us forget it right away as soon as we are upset. <laughs> and it's the, the simple and radical idea that other people's actions do not create our feelings. Our feelings are created by the meaning that we assign to what other people do. The meaning-making is our own. Um, The meaning-making is influenced by the culture into which we were born, the class into which we were born, the gender into which we were born, the family into which we were born, the social class, the race, the everything that shaped who we are affects the meaning that we assign to what is happening. That meaning is what creates the feelings that we have. So it's like there is like a constant, unconscious, instantaneous process of evaluating reality. That is what creates our feelings. When I can really get a hold of that, um, I can start uh, interrupting, intercepting and interrupting that process and taking it deep in a manner similar to what we did today. So, so so-and-so did something, and I feel really angry. Um, The first step is, I'm angry because so-and-so did something, right? That's what we tell ourselves, right? It's not true. I'm angry because there's a story that I'm telling myself about the meaning of what so-and-so did. And in that story, there is some way that there's some needs of mine that are not met through that story. So if I can get clear on what that story is pointing to in terms of my own needs, my own perspective, my own ways of interpreting, then I can take ownership of my feeling. That's an experience of freedom. That's an example. We're not going to practice any of the things that, that I'm talking about right now. It's Whatever you can get from just hearing it, wonderful. And if not... We'll meet another day. There's only so much that can be done in, in one day. Do you want to add anything no. to that piece? Um, any anybody has any question about that? It's like I said. It's simple, radical, and instantly forgettable.
0: <laughs> Just wait for the mic. Just wait for the mic if you can, Ken.
3: Uh, thank you. I'm, I'm pretty clear, I believe, about the, the first of you mentioned. There are four coming yeah. in total, so they're still coming.
1: Yes. Okay, I'm good. Feelings, actions, relationships, and life.
0: So I'll say one other thing, just on the feelings. An- another example of this, similar to the Nelson Mandela and uh, the example of um, Etty, Etty's diary that Mickey gave. Um, there's a, a, s- a story that. The Dalai Lama tells about a monk who was tortured in Tibet by the Chinese. Many of you probably heard this story, and um, the Dalai Lama asked asked him um, if he ever, if he was it, if he felt afraid ever during that period. And he said, "I said only once, um, when um, when I started to feel angry towards the people torturing me." when i lost connection with compassion and part of what allowed him i think to stay connected to compassion was the meaning that he was able to see from the view that the, the the way that they were the people who were torturing him were acting out of confusion and ignorance and also doing harm to themselves and through that able to stay connected to his his values his deep need for compassion and love and connection with humanity So I guess this is just another example of this kind of ideal that can help remind us or point us in that direction.
1: That's the feeling part. Then um, the second path, second part of that path of taking responsibility is to take full responsibility for our actions. And it is amazing how rarely we do that. Our our narrative is that we do things because we have to, we should uh, in order to get some kind of a response from someone uh, to avoid punishment um, because we can't or couldn't, it's company policy. All of these things are the reasons why we do things. Instead of the only free reason, which is, I see how it would contribute to my needs and the needs of others. So I'll give you an example, it's a really small and simple example. I was once at an event uh, with a couple of friends and we had incorrect information about how long the event was. So we made plans for dinner with another friend that meant leaving that event before it was over which none of the three of us wanted to do we all wanted to stay as we were leaving i noticed that my two friends were telling everybody we're really sorry we're leaving but we have to go we have a dinner date with a friend and i was thinking we don't have to go we really don't have to go i know that i know in my bones i don't have to go why am i choosing to go it's so liberating to even ask my question, why am I choosing to do something that I don't want to do? And the answer was very clear. When I compared the disappointment of leaving this event and the hassle of dealing with that person's anger, there was no question. I would rather, I would rather leave the event and miss out on part of it than deal with what would come out of this friend's mouth if we cancel the dinner, but that was then my choice. I didn't have to. There's freedom in that. Mm-hmm. You, you see the move. It's a fantastic activity that you can do. Anything that you tell yourself that you should have, that you must have, that you can't, etc., etc., etc. Take it down to what's leading you to choose to do this. And some of the time, you will end up re-choosing with a different energy, and hopefully some of the time, you will give yourself the freedom to stop doing it. There's a very powerful story that Marshall Rosenberg tells of when he started doing this activity of checking why he was choosing to do things. He was a um, psychologist in private practice, I think, in St. Louis, and he HATED WRITING CLINICAL REPORTS. AND HE TOLD HIMSELF THAT HE HAD TO WRITE THEM. THEN HE STARTED ASKING, WELL, WHY AM I DOING THIS? I DON'T HAVE TO. WHY AM I CHOOSING TO WRITE CLINICAL REPORTS? AND WHEN HE FOUND OUT THAT THE ONLY REASON HE WAS WRITING THEM WAS SO THAT HE COULD KEEP HIS JOB AND GET MONEY, HE DECIDED THAT WASN'T A GOOD ENOUGH REASON. SO HE STOPPED WRITING CLINICAL REPORTS. HE GOT FIRED. And for a few years afterwards, he was driving a taxi. But he, he had the freedom. And I look at it and I say, what would have happened if he hadn't considered this? He might still be a psychologist in private practice in St. Louis, and a movement that has affected by now millions of people around the world might not have been born. So that's the power of choice that you can have. You had your hand up. Yes. Yeah, so when you
0: decided not to, to leave because you don't want to face your friend's anger, that I think that in order to do that skillfully, you have to really be aware of what you're doing because you're, there's a danger. Oh, <laughs> there's yes, a
1: danger. it requires a high degree of awareness. Every practice that involves freedom requires awareness because um, uh, most people, Most of the time, go along with what they've been told and what they're (coughs) continuing to be told. Good or bad, like it or not, just go along. Most of us do that most of the time. So in order to have more choice, I don't know a way around more awareness. Hmm.
0: No, no, I agree.
1: All right, so that's about actions. Um, The next piece is taking responsibility for our relationships. Which is a more difficult practice than taking responsibility for our actions. For me, what it means, and that's how I like to do all my relationships, and it's an invitation, it's not, nothing in me says that you should. I'm offering it to you as a possibility to consider. Is taking responsibility for the well-being of the relationship. That means to me that I take charge of putting my needs fully on the table and of caring for the needs of whoever else is in the relationship fully. Taking responsibility for the relationship does not mean doing whatever the other person wants. It does not mean giving up on myself. It does not mean giving up on the other person. It means that Unilaterally I take one hundred percent responsibility for the relationship going well. Not fifty. Because fifty percent responsibility for a relationship is here's how the math goes. Fifty percent plus fifty percent equals twenty-five percent. <laughs> there is so much of the relationship that nobody then takes responsibility for when you think that your job is just fifty percent. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you take responsibility for 100%, it's an invitation to the other person to step up also.
0: Yeah. 50% times 50% is 25%. <laughs> and <laughs> one of the things that comes up for me around this, and um, <clears throat> I very much hold my relationships in my life the same way um, and, and it's a practice. It's a practice. And part of that practice, I've found, is taking incremental steps towards it. And, and some of that is about learning to trust that we can enter this space where both of our needs matter.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and, and that trust, it doesn't come from our mind. Mm. It has to come from experience. It has to be felt in the body. And that trust only develops through testing the waters Mm -hmm. one step at a time with one need at a time, with one situation at a time to have the courage to step forward and say, you know, not so sure about this, but this is actually also really important to me here. And I want to know what's important to you. And then we actually maybe work it out and come to something different. And then something inside of us goes, oh, wow, that feels really different. And then we try it again, and then we try it again, and then we get to the place where we actually have the capacity to take responsibility for 100%.
1: Gentle Oren, fierce (laughs) Miki. I always go for the whole thing and then (laughs) overwhelm myself and others in the process. so the, the, the very last one, yes, go ahead. Um, I just had a question if this is just romantic relationships
0: or relationships with family or the family. Or- everything. Everything. The, que- the question is, is this just relationships with family, romantic partners, and Mickey and I are saying, no, it's everything. Yes, including a relationship with yourself. Yeah.
1: Including your relationship with your boss. Mm-hmm.
0: Including your relationship with the earth. Could you give a specific
1: example? Yeah, Um. Yeah. so yesterday I went for a walk with a friend. And she was taking responsibility for the relationship by telling me about something that I was not aware of that I was doing that was painful enough for her that she noticed there was a bit... Of holding back on her end. She brought it to me, we talked about it, we were holding it together, we figured out what we can or cannot do with it, where it's coming from for me, for her, and it brought us closer. That's an example of taking responsibility for the relationship. It was not, there was not an ounce of blame in what she said. It was bringing it to me. Is that a good enough example?
3: Yeah. Uh, what about those aspects of the relationship that aren't emotional? Say, you know, you have uh, you're in a financial relationship with someone, you know, and this could be an intimate partner, or you're in a cleaning relationship. And sometimes, you know, the sort of specialization of labor says, oh, I'll take this and I'll do that, but that can then lead into at least.
0: Not what happened, but this future.
1: Yeah. Um, did everybody hear? No, no, not really. Okay. So. Um,
3: I You want to? <laughs> uh, so, I'm. I'm thinking of my parents a bit, but. Uh, you know, you you have a marriage, and uh, there's a relationship that's not only emotional; it's financial, it's rearing, it's home. Uh, home care cooking all these things and sometimes there's the assignment of tasks within that that really do you take on you know that some you can assign a percentage to or um, and then the communication around those can influence especially mm-hmm. financial um, if, if someone is the financial uh, decision maker and those decisions don't go so well uh, at least I've seen that it can really influence the emotionals. Does that mean that you know, this, there has to be absolute parity in all those relationships?
1: No, I'm not talking at all about parity. I'm talking about holding everything together. It's very different. I, I, parity is a particular arrangement that may or may not work in a particular relationship. It's coming together to see what is going on and making a joint decision about how to sort it out. So let's say I'm the person who is not happy with the financial decisions that you are making. Then I come to you and I say, you know, it looks to me like maybe 15 years ago we made an implicit decision uh, that you would be making the financial decisions and I would be doing these other things. And it took me 15 years to become conscious of the fact that that decision was implicit. We never actually made it explicitly. And I would really like us to sit together, look at the full picture of what is going on in the relationship, and redecide decide how we want to do it. Are you open to that? In this act, I'm taking responsibility for the relationship, not just for my needs, but for the relationship. Is that clear enough? All right. So the last one was there a hand somewhere there? Yeah. Just wondering what your guidance is to that last
2: point. What if there is mental disorder in one of the people in one of the parties in the relationship that's clinical and severe, and there is not capacity that you're observing for the person to care fully for both people's needs. What is your guidance around that?
1: I'm not requiring the other person to care fully. I'm only holding myself to that standard. Otherwise, I'm going to use it as blame for the other person. So if my assessment is that the other person is limited in their capacity to contribute, then the question is to be really honest with myself. Am I able to make up the difference? lovingly and without resentment? Am I able to make up the difference lovingly and without resentment? Am I able to make up the difference lovingly and without resentment? If the answer is no, get out of there.
0: Or get support. Yeah. Get someone else in there. (laughs) (laughs) Fierce, gentle.
1: (laughs) 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 Good cop, bad cop, it's the same deal. (laughs) So I was was trying to be dramatic. What I mean is you need to know yourself and your ability and be honest with yourself rather than pretending that you can do something that you can't really do or doing something with the secret hope that if you do it long enough, then the capacity will arise there. Mm -hmm. Do you, you, you get it?
0: All of these practices require a radical honesty with ourselves.
1: I I know a couple. It's the it's the single most amazing relationship that I've ever seen. Um, the it, it's a man and a woman. The woman has a fatal lung disease that sooner or later will kill her. At the time that I met them, she had 10% lung capacity, which is very small. She's on oxygen most of the time. And um, going to get a cup of tea is extremely labor-intensive for her. So you would think that he would be in a place of like, where he has to take care of things. And then I watched her ask him, to bring her a cup of water because they stayed at my house for a week a few years ago. And the way she asked him, the tone, the energy, everything left room for him to say no. It was clear. I can't mimic it, but you know it when something is, usually you know it when something is a request or it's a subtle demand. And so I asked her, what if he said no And she looked at me like, what is it about life that you don't understand? (laughs) And she said, then I would get up and get it for myself. And knowing what that meant to her gave me a sense of the depth of trust between them. And then subsequently they told me their basic agreement is ask for everything you want and always tell the truth. So that's, that's an agreement that is not about parity. It's an agreement that honors both people's truth and needs. But it's not about parity. It's about what works. My, my own motto is, it's not about what's fair, it's about what's possible. So the point is to aim to find what's possible and work with that. Yes. Um, maybe I misunderstood then, because I, I can think of a relationship where I may have more capability than the other party. And I do have that loving, and I won't resent it, to, to do more, to step up. And then I, it's all good.
2: I agree. <laughs>
1: I I have a friend, I have a friendship that is very dear to me, uh, with tremendous amount of affection. This person has an instant negative reaction to being asked for anything. And over the years, it, it, it used to be very painful for me. That, you know, whenever I asked her for anything, it almost always turned into a no and left me really, really unsettled. And then one day I realized um, that if I really want to enjoy the friendship, it means never asking her for anything. Because otherwise I am having, you know, an unrealistic expectation that is going to result unnecessary pain. And I checked with myself, can I do that and keep my heart open and have no resentment? And the answer was very clearly yes, and I recheck periodically, and it's still so, and every once in a while I forget and I ask her for something. (laughs) And when I do, it gets messy, and then I back off, and we're back to enjoying the friendship, and it's real. The friendship is real. It just doesn't include her supporting me. So what? (laughs) Except, except when it comes from her, spontaneously. Mm -hmm. Who says that that's wrong? That it shouldn't be, that it should be, that it's this reciprocity idea. It's not an exchange. So, if it works for you and it works for the other person, that's fine with me. Now, it, it might be that if I knew you well, I could see that it harms you or the, har- the other person, and I might have trouble with it, and I might want to talk to you about it and ask you to investigate, but it doesn't change the principle. The specifics I don't know, but the principle stands for me. Yeah. So the very last thing, is about taking responsibility for our life as a whole. And it's, it's, the, it's ultimately the deepest practice, so it's kind of nice to end on this note, because it's really freeing ourselves from victim consciousness. Any sense in which our life is not what we want it to be because of something outside ourselves. I don't know anyone who is completely free from that. And I just, on the way here, I was telling Orin, I just discovered a whole layer of victim consciousness in myself that I was not aware of before. And it has to do with, I have these amazing dreams and visions for what could happen in the world, and specific things that I have deep confidence that I can contribute to that. And none of these things have materialized into anything. And the victim consciousness takes this form. I don't have the right people to work with. I don't have enough money to uh, do any of these projects. I don't have the right connections. I don't have the time. You name it. And woe is me. And one day somebody will be kind to me and give me all these things. (laughs) It, It doesn't matter that it's about creating change in the world. Whatever it is, I was completely immersed in this without even seeing it for what it is. Now I feel really ecstatic to see how I start turning it around. So there's something about seeing what's real and what's true about the ways that we've given away power and choice to forces outside our control. And then coming back to So what do I want to do about that? What do I want to do? What do I want my life to look like? And it's not about all being inside because we are interdependent creatures. It's about knowing what I really need and asking all the people in the world for all the things that are required to make that happen. It's not a self-sufficiency practice. It's an empowerment practice of making sure that I have all the resources necessary to do what I need to do. And if I can't get them, making sure that I get enough support to mourn the things that I can't change. It's not about having magical superpowers. It's about really rigorously relating to life in that way of being in charge. And in theory, we can do that no matter what our situation is. In practice, I want to close back with... uh, nod to the structural reality. Very few people on the planet have gotten sufficient resources from the structures that we have to even be able to have these thoughts. I feel extremely lucky to even know that it's possible to think differently. If I, if, if I were one of the uh, two and a half billion people who live on less than two dollars a day, there would not be room for me to maneuver or create a life, in theory, but not in practice. So I think before we end, because that's I'm done unless you have something to do, I, I feel moved to dedicate what we're doing here to those 2.5 billion people, especially the children. Um, and anybody who wants to join me with that, let's... Be for a moment in silence, or you can dedicate it to any other person or group that you want to. Mm? A mm? to, a to oh, I thought you start and end. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> Different practice.
0: So just really sensing in your heart this intention of sharing, of offering. And in whatever way feels true and authentic to you to express that wish that movement of the heart towards giving, all of the learning, the insight, the transformation, and in particular the goodness and the strength of the intentions that have brought us here together today and that have sustained us through the day. That all of this may ripple outward and reach those in need. Also maybe taking a moment to appreciate yourself, your own goodness, the beauty of your own pure intentions and coming here, whatever brought you here, to learn, to grow, to understand, to heal, to awaken. Touch that place and to really honor it. Don't skip over that. And to add that to the offering outward.